0: When something matters, we put it in a museum. And in 2015, sneakers had become so glorified, so crucial to fashion, hip-hop, and art, that they mattered enough to wind up in an exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum devoted entirely to sneakers.
1: I kind of just naturally and organically love sneakers, and I'm always trying to figure out what's my next cop. This is Jasmine Gonzalez,
0: a.k.a. Kixie Jixie. You might remember her from our first episode. She's been collecting sneakers since she was a kid in the 80s, and she takes her kicks seriously.
1: Me and my girls, we're just all about who wore what. Did you see what sneakers coming out this morning? Or are you getting those next week? Oh, I'm going to pass on them. Do you want them? Are those DVN DS or are they DS? I'm like, or did you get them OG?
0: Dixie has over a thousand sneakers in her collection, so it takes a lot to impress her. She's been surrounded by sneakers basically her whole life. But the exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum was a
1: whole new thing. As she stepped in, she was breathless. So I'm seeing all of these Mona Lisas and I'm just like, oh my God, look at this one, look at that one. And they curated it beautifully. It was like the Hall of Fame.
0: No. No. It was like a shrine for sneakers. Every major sneaker was displayed. They had sneakers that dated back to before basketball was even invented. They had iconic runners that you know and love. And not just the big brands you see in stores. There were sneakers made by major fashion houses. They had it all. Here's where we get to the T, though. For Jixie, this exhibit was a
1: complete. Disaster. It was horrible.
0: I'm Scotty Beam. And from Reebok Classic, this is Flipping the Game, a series about how one sneaker changed the world and how the world still needs to change. So back to this exhibit in the Brooklyn Museum. It was called The Rise of Sneaker Culture. Jixi is in this dark, enormous room full of sneakers that are lit up in glass cases. For someone like Jixie, this might sound like heaven. Except there was one
1: small problem. It was like three rooms of men's sneakers and two little walls of women's. The women's section was pathetically
0: small. Out of about 150 sneakers, only seven were women's. But there was something that caught Jixie's eye that kind of made up for that.
1: Of course, you have to have a Reebok <laughs> freestyle. And not just any freestyle. The old ones, they have the true Terry cloth interior. So you see a Terry cloth interior and you're just like <gasps> Yep,
0: a Reebok Freestyle with OG Terrycloth interior. You don't see
1: shoes like that every day. And on the side of it, it had a small little It was like a note. It was like printed. And it said all great things about the Reebok freestyle, right? Oh, it was such a popular shoe, blah, 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 blah. I can't even remember the wonderful things because at the end it said, this sneaker did not contribute to the rise of the sneaker culture for women. To have that sneaker on display and then to have that written under the sneaker, it was like, who did this?
2: I actually have the label right here, um, so I can I can read exactly what it said. This is who did it,
0: Elizabeth Semelhek. She's a senior curator at the Bata Shoe Museum in Toronto. Elizabeth is an expert on shoes and fashion, and she curated
2: the sneaker exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum. It said, despite the widespread popularity of the freestyle among women... Men never demanded the style, and sneakers designed specifically for women did not play a role in the rise of sneaker culture. There it is. The line that pissed Jixie off.
0: Because for Jixie, the freestyle was essential to sneaker culture. But when Elizabeth wrote that line, she'd have been thinking about sneaker culture differently.
2: I would never say that the freestyle was not popular among women, but I don't think that it influenced men's sneaker culture. What I meant, and I still hold that it's true, is that men, in any aspect of fashion, are very reluctant to be influenced by fashion for women.
0: Elizabeth's argument is that it's not that the freestyle didn't matter, It's that it didn't matter to men. And because men are the ones who dominate sneaker culture, they determine what's hype and what's not. She says that if men don't think a shoe matters,
2: then it really doesn't. It clearly made evident how many women wanted to participate. But if the only sneaker you can participate in sneaker culture wearing is a freestyle, that seems to suggest that it's not a completely open market.
0: But when the freestyle arrived on the scene, it changed the game for women. Today, women do participate in the culture by wearing men's sneakers. And this is where Elizabeth and Jixie
1: actually agree. The women are always left out within the culture. Our voice and, and our story is kind of lost in this.
0: To Elizabeth's point, if sneaker culture really was open to women, there'd be more pairs designed for us. But Jixie is saying... Just because sneaker culture hasn't embraced women, it doesn't mean women haven't embraced sneaker culture. Women are now a huge force in the world of sneakers. But in the industry, we're an afterthought. Most sneaker companies aren't even paying attention to what we want. The 5411s were the gateway sneaker for some women. They're what made them fall in love with sneakers. But since then, the options for women have been super thin. I want you to rock with me in
3: thinking about the bigger picture.
0: This is Jaziree Allen-Lord. She goes by nerd like Jazzy online. And Jaziree's worked in the streetwear industry for more than a decade. She's a sneaker queen and a true OG when it comes to sneaker collecting. Jazzy is out here pushing for the sneaker industry to acknowledge their female customers.
3: That 13-year-old girl who's walking into the sneaker store and you know maybe there's like five shoes available to them. There's no offering. And it's setting a directive for that young woman of, like, who she can't be and immediately excluding her from a lifetime of possibilities that she can't even imagine because there's no offering for her.
0: Jazzy knows about this because that's what happened to her. She's been collecting sneakers since before the internet, and being a female sneakerhead back then was hard. Finding people in a community with similar interests wasn't as easy as a hashtag search. So, when the blogs came along, so did the possibility to find other sneakerheads, write about what you love, and find new shit. So, Jazzeray was on it. Back in 2009, Jazzeray became one of the most recognized bylines on a sneaker blog called Kicks on Fire. Personally, Kicks on Fire was where I got all my sneaker news. I would check it every day before class, after class, and let's be honest, I was checking it during class too. Jazzere wrote everything from news about the latest sneaker drops to profiles, sometimes up to 20 pieces a day.
3: There was a this like golden era where it's like when I first started, I loved writing sneaker articles. So my commitment was 5, but I would do like 20 because I wanted to talk about all these like great things.
0: During this golden era, readers only knew Jazzere by her byline. People were still kind of anonymous online back then.
3: So they wouldn't know I was female. Like, they would just respect my opinion, and they fucked with me, and that's just what it was.
0: And then social media happened. Kicks on Fire wanted to expand its footprint, so they got on Twitter and started sharing articles. Every day of the week had its own theme or hashtag. Jazere was assigned to handle Tuesdays, and she had an idea.
3: We're going to talk about girls and, like, retweet girls and, like, post girls that are, like, authentic sneakerheads. And that'll be Chicks on Fire.
0: So on that first Tuesday, Jazare hops on her computer and signs into the Kicks on Fire Twitter account. She starts sharing articles about female sneaker collectors using the hashtag Chicks on Fire
3: for the first time. And the hashtag takes off. I went from 500 to 5,000 followers, and my life was never the same after that. Jazeray tagged her personal account in
0: that first Chicks on Fire tweet. And her personal account had a picture that clearly showed
3: she was a woman. And they're like, oh shit, this person that was just a byline is actually like a girl. I was the only girl in the boys club. And they were not cool with letting women in.
0: So they did what people so often do on the internet. They dug way back into her timeline to hate on her. People were
3: 100 weeks back leaving comments about the way I parent my kids and like all kind of like crazy stuff.
0: And it wasn't just Twitter. This shit was happening to women all over the Internet. Women are criticized over every single thing on social media. People go over your tweets with a fine tooth comb to see if you made
3: any error. I got some nasty comments before.
0: This is Sol DeVita. She's a former YouTuber known for her sneaker reviews. She was one of the first women to review sneakers on YouTube. Sol DeVita also got her fair share of negative comments. And of course, just like any time a woman puts herself out there online, men commented on her appearance.
3: I didn't have the perfect smile back then. And so, of course, I got some of those comments of, well, why are you spending so much money on your sneakers? You need to get your teeth fixed. like. Come on, it's sneakers. You shouldn't be looking at her teeth.
0: Look at her feet. But then guys, look at your
3: feet and think about, you know, not your feet. I had those sexual comments. (laughs) I had guys asking me to show more breasts. Uh, I even had a foot fetish one. A guy wanted me to walk around in socks and um, like do a whole sock video.
0: When it comes to women in sneakers, it always comes down to sex, whether that was your intention or not. Here's Jazeray again.
3: I would never even post myself in like a tank top online because I was so paranoid of like the sexuality in sneakers with women. In the beginning, it was unheard of to feature a female who enjoyed sneakers and like just loved sneakers or played in sneakers or designed sneakers or wrote about sneakers whatever it was that girl was always topless with boy shorts on and like sneakers laced around her neck and hanging over her boobs so when they would see a me it would be a complete mind fuck
0: and then came instagram On the gram, women could be in charge of their own image. They could stunt without having
3: to play the role of sex object. We found each other on Instagram through hashtags like size six gang and girls got kicks and like you can put in your little hashtag and be like, oh, my gosh, there's X amount of girls or there's these girls in my general vicinity that like these shoes and you're like following each other and and showing each other love and, like, meeting up with each other in the city. Female
0: sneakerheads are becoming a force, and not just on the internet. Hi.
4: Hello, how are you? Hi. How are you, you? guys doing? Good. Hi. Hi. Nice nice to meet Sue. you. Nice to meet you. Pleasure.
0: Hi. I'm... Sue Boyle is the owner of Rhyme, a streetwear boutique in Brooklyn. But what makes it special is that it's one of the few stores that cater to female sneakerheads. Sue's a female owner of a sneaker boutique in the capital of streetwear and sneaker culture, New York City. She's one of the only women who runs a sneaker shop in the city. And Sue's known as a pretty influential tastemaker on the sneaker scene.
4: Looking at me, I don't fit the bill. My biggest insult in the business is, oh, is it your husband's store? No. Oh, you got a son that got you into the game. Like, no. Sue opened Rhyme about a decade ago
0: after working in local streetwear shops for years. Even though Sue loved sneakers, at first, Ryan mostly sold men's shoes. But that didn't stop Sue from getting a pair of fire kicks. Like this one time, a pair of highly anticipated sneakers were about to drop. And she overheard her staff working out what inventory they were going to buy for the store. And they're like, yeah, okay, yeah, we'll do 8 to 13. I'm like, but
4: I want a pair.
0: They were planning to buy sizes 8 through 13 in men's, but Sue is about a size six in men's.
2: They all looked
4: at me and they
0: said, what? What do you mean you want a pair? You can't rock those. Even Sue's own staff, which was all male, by the way, couldn't wrap their minds around a woman who owns a sneaker shop wanting to rock dope sneakers.
4: I'm like, okay, (laughs) I'm gonna
0: buy them anyway. So she puts in an order for the shoe in a few different men's sizes. She's sort of guessing which one is going to fit her.
4: They're like, okay, but those are not going to sell.
0: So the order comes in. She pulls out the smaller shoes, finds a pair that fits her, and puts them on. And almost immediately,
4: a female customer notices them. One girl said, oh my god, you have them? I need those. And I had them on my feet, and I sold them to her instead of keeping them on for me.
0: She sold this girl the sneakers off her feet. The next day, two more girls showed up asking for the same sneakers in smaller sizes.
4: And next thing I know, I had this female following who couldn't get size six. I started catering to that sneaker girl who was able to buy things in my store at small sizes because the other stores did not want to carry a six because that was iffy.
0: But Sue saw an opportunity. And as an owner, Sue could do more than just cater to her customers. Sue started getting invited to industry events, rubbing shoulders with sneaker executives and telling the brands what her female customers really wanted. But getting invited into these exclusive spaces didn't guarantee that she
4: would get the respect that she deserves. There was a a sneaker event that was industry. And, of course, it's all male that go. And at the end of the event, you get a gift bag. This is pretty standard at sneaker
0: events. To give out a swag bag to everyone at the end of the night, these companies want to impress store owners. So everybody gets these crazy kicks and I'm like, oh great, can't wait to see what I got. So she opened her swag bag and she did not like that shit. It was bad. It was bad. And I was like, what? How
4: come I got this?
0: While all the males at the event were getting crazy dope sneakers, Sue got a good old fashioned pair of bubblegum pink kicks. And they got crazy shit. Like, I was like, oh, I was jealous. The problem isn't the pink. The problem isn't getting something for free and not liking it. The problem is the assumption that because I'm a female, I definitely want the pink shoe. Or that because Sue is a woman at the industry event, she's not taken as seriously as her male counterparts. When that's the
4: mentality at the top, it's a problem. It's made by men. They're designing it. They think you want to wear this. They always put some kind of print on it, or they'll give you a purple as a derivative of pink, and that's it. They just assume,
0: and it's patronizing. We are still treated like an afterthought in sneaker culture.
4: We have ways to go. We we want product made for us, too, and we want to be able to buy men's product, women's product, you know, it's just, we just want the equality there. We just want the same sneakers that guys get in our sizes.
0: Same colorways, same material, same price, same availability. The same thing you've already been doing for guys, but for women. But when the people behind the scenes making the decisions aren't women, they don't know what we actually want. If we want to break this pattern, we're gonna need more women involved in making decisions and speaking up for us at every level of the sneaker industry. On the final episode of Flipping the Game, we meet some of the women who are speaking up. I gathered some badass industry insiders devoted to shaking up the old boys club. A lot of times men's brands, they might break into the women's space and they end up having that same male designer design the women's clothes. That's why we wear certain sweatpants and certain tights and we're like, why is it cinching in the areas that it shouldn't be? Yeah.
3: We we're know, like, why we is know. the waistband like 18 inches? <laughs> right. right.
0: Designer and illustrator Sophia Chang, Emily Oberg, and Jazrae Allen Lord on the future of the sneaker world. Hint: it's female. That's coming up next on Flipping the Game. Flipping the Game is a podcast created by Reebok Classic and Gimlet Creative. This episode was produced by Jorge Estrada, Julia Botero, Abby Ruzica, and me, Scotty Beam. Editing by Rachel Ward and Devin Taylor. Katherine Anderson and Zach Schmidt mixed this episode. Music by Track Girl and Haley Shaw. Special thanks to JBugs317, Jody Rockstar, Jen Twice, and Jason Faustino. To continue the conversation and see more from the brand that brought you the freestyle high, follow Reebok Classic on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Find more info on the show at FlippingTheGamePodcast.com. I'm Scotty Beam, and thanks for listening.